everybody. Welcome to the afterword. I've just got one thing to say to you, and that is Happy Easter! Yeah, man, we are so excited about the resurrection of Jesus, which changes everything for everybody. It's a very exciting time. We're here to talk about the resurrection. You know, for a long time in my Christian walk, I had, uh, I didn't know what to do with Easter. It just felt like um, kind of a triumphal, Jesus is awesome kind of sermon. And it was like, ah, I mean, this is true, but it was never really explained to me like what it means or um, how it it confronts me personally. And I love that this year we kind of focus on the last story in the last gospel, which is a story about an ordinary guy, Peter, and how he is confronted with this extraordinary story of Jesus coming back to, to life. And so the story of Easter is actually a confrontation. I love that idea. I love the idea that the story of Jesus is a confrontation because it confronts uh, our assumptions about what's true about reality and um, has some real implications for our lives. So Jay Kim is here in the studio to talk about Easter, and we're going to um, have have a convo about that. And so with that, let's just uh, hop right in. <laughs> Get it? Hop. It's East. Any, I'm sorry. Um, let's just start the podcast. Happy Easter, Jay. Happy Easter. Or as they say, Hoppy Easter. <laughs> what? Hoppy. Oh, hoppy. Hoppy. Yeah. Nice, yeah. nice, nice. Do you have any Easter jokes? I don't. Really? I have a couple. They're pretty excellent. Let's... <laughs> Very good. You yeah. know, one of my favorite um, Easter jokes was from Jim Gaffigan. Okay. Um, it was one of his early stand-ups. He was talking about the incongruity of like candy at Easter. Yeah. And he's just like... Hey, it's e-, he does that voice. Hey, it's Easter. Why don't we why don't we dye eggs bright colors? Oh, uh, what's that have to do with the resurrection of Jesus? Fine, we'll hide them. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. It's pretty funny. It's That's they, pretty good. Inc- okay, so first of all, before we get into this, uh, we're going to get into lots of stuff. Uh, yeah. But one of the the things that I thought was pretty interesting about this coming Easter. And one of the ideas that has really kind of been resonating with me for a while, and is especially, it seems more true this year, is that Easter is pretty confrontational. Yeah. As an idea, like Christmas is soft and beautiful, and there's so much around it culturally that has nothing to do with Jesus. You could almost escape Christmas and not even encounter Jesus. Like you could just do the gifts and the right. tree and Michael Bublé's Christmas yeah, album. Yeah. There's there's lots of different. You can you can kind of there's a soft warm family glow. Yeah, it's a baby. It's a baby in a manger. Right. It's like soft and neat, right? Animals. And, yeah. Right. It's it's barnyard. Presents. It's a little yep. Charlotte's webby. Yep. You know. Yep. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just it's it's a, a silent night. But right. Easter. And I, by the way, I don't believe that's what Christmas is. Right. I, but I, culturally. You right. Can see that's how, not what Christmas yeah, is. Yeah. I, I don't think the, the narrative is like that at all. It's more like D-Day right? Um, than it is anything. But uh, Easter, I guess you can try to escape into chocolate peanut butters. By the way, Reese's peanut butter eggs are God's good gr- gift to the world. That's <laughs> the perfect combination of peanut butter if you've ever eaten them, it's it's just the perfect ratio. There's only one way to really get that ratio anywhere else, and that's to take a traditional Reese's peanut butter cup and nibble off the edge, the the, the gear oh, at the yes. top. Yeah. And then you're left with maybe 
a, a ratio that's similar, but that takes a lot of time nibbling. I don't prefer to spend my time nibbling that much chocolate. <laughs> it's just it's just inefficient, frankly. Yeah. Thank you uh, to our sponsors, Reese's. <laughs> I might have thought peanut butter cups. I might have thought about this a little too much. Yeah. Anyway, um, but back to the point. I think that Easter kind of confronts yes our culture. Talk about that a little bit because that was one of the your your impulse is that that is something that we got to bring up. That there's a confrontation of of Easter around the resurrection of Jesus. Yeah, I yeah, I agree. I think at least on the surface Christmas you can um soften it quite a bit. It and it has gotten softened by culture. And some of it is the imagery, you know, Christmas is about birth, it's about a baby, so it's it's you know, it's it's feasible to soften it. Um, and to sort of, uh, make it a kid's story, you know, and it is a kid's story and, and it's for everybody. But what I mean is like, really just make it rated G it's a children's story. And it's really nice. And animals, like you said, Charlotte's web, uh, there is none of that with Easter, which is why the only way to do it is to just remove the resurrection altogether and make it about bunnies and eggs and chocolate. You know, it's the only way, um, because uh, when you when you talk about Easter itself, it's about a death, you know, and the 40 day season leading up to Easter Lent begins with Ash Wednesday. We had an Ash Wednesday prayer service here at um, the South Hills campus back in February and we put ashes on foreheads and we said from dust you came to dust you shall return. It's basically you're going to die, you know. And uh, it starts that way because it, it takes us all the way to Good Friday where Jesus does, in fact, die. And then Easter is um, the proclamation that death doesn't win and that Jesus comes back to life. But there's no resurrection without death. So, one, it, it's not really a kid's story. I mean, it is for kids. It's for everybody. But it's not a kid's story in the classic sort of rated G sense. But more than that, I think Easter is confrontational because with Christmas, and I agree with you, Christmas is just misunderstood. But at least the misunderstood version of Christmas, you you can wrap your head around how it can get softened. A, a baby was born, which is true. It's like, oh, great, beautiful. I can accept that. Even a secular culture can accept that. But Easter, which is the, the bookend of that story, um, it's confrontational to a secular world because Easter hinges on the reality that Jesus came back to life. So there's no neutrality when it comes to Easter. Yeah. You either say that's a myth um, spun up by, you know, religious leaders to coerce the masses or something, or you say that's true as unlikely as it is a uh, first century Jewish rabbi from a no-name town died and came back to life. And he did it for all of us. And he did it so that he can break down death's door. And we too, if we would pledge our lives in trust and loyalty to him, we too can live beyond the grave. Those are the only two options. Yeah. Either it's a lie, it's a myth, or uh, it changes everything, you know, about the human story. 
So in that way, it confronts you. It, it stares you right in the face and asks you to make a decision. Right. That's what Easter does. It's, I was reading a lot of this. Recently, I've been reading a lot of these ethicists who say that there are some questions that are so important that not taking a stance is not an option. Mm-hmm. So there's a there is there is well a, not taking a stance puts you it, you it are taking a, a default stance yeah. yeah so for example the most extreme example let's say the Nazis are marching across Europe and you're like I'm not going to take a stance on that that'd be too political you're you're taking a stance yeah and so this, there are some questions that are so important that you have to you have to take a stance and I think that Easter is is one of them but here's the thing if we're honest there's a lot of people who just kind of smile and nod and say oh that's nice that's nice for you yeah. Um, yeah, that's cute that you believe that, I guess. Right. Uh, and then they kind of go on their way. Yeah. So I guess that's a decision. I think so. But in doing, in, in taking that stance, you're taking a stance for sure. You know, you're saying, I, I, I guess I don't believe that or something. Yeah. Or what I'm not saying is there isn't room for, I mean, we talked about this on Easter Sunday. I'm, I'm certainly obviously not saying there isn't room for, skepticism right doubt there is you know and i actually think uh done well and done within community and done with an open mind skepticism and doubt are important parts of the journey you know you don't going going back to the easter teaching that you and i gave you don't go from resignation to realization or restoration or response in one giant leap you know you most people go from from resignation to recognition that there's the possibility of something and then the realization that, Oh my gosh, this is real. So, well, even in the story, Thomas is like, look, that's nuts guys. That's cute. I I love what you're saying. I wish it were true. Unless I see his hands. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not. And then what does Jesus do? He obliges. Yeah. He obliges. Let me touch your wounds. Well, the other crazy thing is at the end of Matthew, you know, I didn't notice this until the last couple of years. Right before Jesus gives what we call the Great Commission and then ascends into heaven in the book of Acts, um, Matthew, the biographer, he says, some doubted. <laughs> like it's in there, right before the Great Commission, that some of Jesus' followers who are literally in his presence, they are, they're seeing him, they doubted. They had doubts. So... It's fascinating. And yet Jesus tells all of them, hey, go and make disciples of all nations. And then they do. So even from their doubt, they are launched out into the great work of, of beginning the Christian movement. So yeah, um, I love I love that edge. Uh, I think I think you said this line and I, I, I latched on to it because I thought it was really beautiful. It's an extraordinary story that uh, at the end of John, which is the last gospel, the last story in the last gospel yeah. is a story of an extraordinary story of Jesus's resurrection confronting an ordinary man. Yeah. And like what, what, what happens with Peter? And I yeah. love that. Cause that's what this, that's what this is. Yeah. This is an extraordinary story. And sometimes I think there's a, a little bit of chronological snobbery. You know, we think, Oh, these are stupid ancient people that are like pre-scientific. Oh, right. But like in the ancient world, I don't know if you know this, year, I did some research in the ancient world. People who died tended to stay dead. <laughs> um, and that was like an expected thing. Yeah. So yeah. in some ways, there's no difference. Yeah. This is as fantastical and ridiculous and earth shattering yeah. and world shattering, universe shattering yeah. as anything t- today as it was 2,000 years ago. Yes. So yeah. that that doesn't change. Right. So the fact that some are like, this is, I, I, help me understand this. Mike, I, 
this is this is an upheaval of every single thing that I thought I knew, right? There, yeah. There's a sense in which that that happened then, that's going to happen now, and there's room for that. So that that I think that that's 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 comforting to me because this extraordinary yeah. story still confronts ordinary people like you and I today. Yes. Yeah. But going for there's another side of this I wanted to ask you about um, because in your teaching, um, well, and we we talked about this. We we kind of went back for there are some people who say this is just a myth. Um, right. And and again, if this is just an invented myth, like a story of Zeus, yeah, um, or some epic of Gilgamesh, some ancient story that's cobbled together that somehow snowballed into some giant myth that got like political steam or right. social socio cultural steam, and this myth, this nice story, kind of became more than it was and snowballed through the ages. Um, if that's what it is, then. Well, there's all sorts of problems with that, or there's all sorts of implications of that. Yeah. But you started off by talking a little bit about some extra Christian historical sources. Right. Um, from first century uh, Romans, uh, yeah. Greeks, and Jewish Jewish yeah. scholars. Yeah. Josephus, who was uh, first century, he was a Jewish scholar who said, listen, these Jews really followed Jesus. They said he rose, yeah. and they thought he might be the, pro- uh, the one— from whom the prophecies of Jewish prophecies right. foretold. They thought it was the Messiah. Uh, Pliny the Younger, who's yeah. the nephew of Pliny the Elder, who's a great beer. Uh, <laughs> so is the Younger. Shout oh. out to Russian River Brewing Company. Wait, I thought it was Pliny the Elder that was the famous beer. That's the, that's the ongoing brew, but once a year in February, they brew a, a triple IPA called Pliny the Younger. I didn't know that. And people wait in line. This is brand new information. Two, three hours wow. to get eight ounces. I think, <laughs> I think you're limited to an eight ounce pour. My goodness. Because it's a triple IPA. And uh, I've never had it, but I hear it's amazing. Shout out to our sponsors, Russian River Brewing Company. <laughs> so Goes great with Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, uh, Pliny the Younger said that the Christians worshipped him as God. And then Tacitus, who's a first century Roman historian and yeah. governor, yeah. he he has all sorts of writings. He talks about this this Jesus who was killed yeah. by Pontius, yep. Pilate, and then... These Ru- are all non-Christians. Non-Christian yeah. historians who record this story about Jesus and then this rumor of his resurrection spread. It stopped, it seemed. And then it went in Judea, and then it made all its way all the way to Rome. The yeah, capital. Tacitus talks about he doc. He's a historian, not a Christian. Not only does he not have a vest, all of these guys. Not only do they not have a vested interest in highlighting uh, Christianity and the Christian movement in a positive light, they're actually probably it serves them well to sort of deconstruct Christianity, um, and they do in some ways, but their arguments, um, make very clear because these guys are all guys who lived within a lifetime of Jesus. Jesus. So this is not like hundreds of years later, they're reflecting back, looking at, you know, material from hundreds of years before they like they're, they're writing what they're observing and what's clear. It's not just these three, there's several, but what's clear is that non-Christian, historians who are alive within a lifetime of um you know the resurrection and ascension of jesus they make clear that hundreds and then thousands and then tens of thousands of people throughout the known world seem to be completely caught up in this wild fantastical story that this jewish rabbi that rome had killed was somehow not dead 
um, hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands. These are non-Christians who basically say these people there's a are insane. Yeah, there's a movement. And they here. think this Jewish rabbi died and came back to. We know he died. First of all, they say that they're like he died. Pontius Pilate put him to death. Had this guy killed. Yeah. Yeah. But there's this whole movement now. We don't know what to do with them. They seem to worship this guy as God. Um, and they seem to do so because they think he's alive. And what's really fascinating to me is that if, because they, Rome wanted to, to kill this movement and they literally killed, killed people who were a part of the movement. You know, Nero burns Rome, blames it on the Christians, all sorts of things. All they would have had to do, I mean, I'm not even talking pastorally right now. I'm talking more just like apologetically, you know. All they would have had to do, Rome, all they would have had to do is provide a body. <laughs> like this dude you're worshiping as God is dead. Here's his body. Like this, that's it. And they could not do it. So the, the you know, the story, the propaganda they put out there was that um, his early disciples had gone and stolen the stolen body the body and, right grave robbers which literally physically would not have been possible you know when in on, in the Easter story when you know we sing the song about the stone being moved away yeah historically speaking there's evidence that overwhelming evidence that shows these disciples would not have been able to move that stone and what motivation would they have had to do such a thing the story we read in the Gospel of John, reveals that these guys also thought Jesus was dead. <laughs> why would and they're just like fishermen. You know, why would they want to let's just lie to the world and try to say anyways, there's a fantastic And there's a Roman guard positioned yeah. outside the tomb. There's right. a fantastic book called uh, Can I Trust the Gospels by Peter J. Williams, who's a scholar, and uh he gets into all of this stuff. You can read it in half a day. It's a thin little book, but well worth the read if you're interested in. in so why why does why does why is all this historical testimony? What does that do? Why do you think that's important for a Christian, or why is it important for you? I I think about it because it roots the story in actual history of real people in real times and real places, and that that's a tremendous comfort to me because it's not just a made up narrative like Zeus. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's real people, real time, real place, and it makes yeah some historical sense to me that these whatever happened. Those disciples, they believe that Jesus. Yeah. They, you could say that they're nuts, but they're not. Why would you die for a lie? Yeah. No one does that. Yeah. Uh, it's important to me because it is one of the two most significant reasons why I'm a Christian. Oh. The other being, you know, my experience of God in my life by his spirit. So that's one significant part. You know, I've, I've had a transformative experience of, of God by his spirit. But I actually would not be able to even make sense of that were it not for this. So we don't do a lot of classic traditional apologetics at our church. Um, and maybe we need to do more. I'm not sure. But what I can say with certainty is this is why I follow Jesus. Um, because I think he actually, I think that there is, enormous overwhelming evidence that tells us he died and came back to life if jesus is dead you know this is we we in the words of paul we're like the biggest idiots ever i'm paraphrasing right if jesus is dead to be pitied above all we are yeah. the all time 
idiots ever, you know? Um, so that's why it's important. If Jesus is not resurrected and ascended as king, then I, if I, if I had definitive proof that that were true, Jesus is actually dead. Yeah, I would, I would quit today. There's all sorts of other things I could be doing, but Christ is risen, you know, and he's alive. So, and if that's true, that's the confrontation of Easter. If that's true, then what else is there to give my life to? Right. And I don't mean like for people listening, I don't mean like everyone become a pastor. I just mean whatever it is we do, it's Christ is king, you know, and we, we live our lives with that reality in mind. I love, I love the story at the end of John. I was reflecting on this. I love the story at the end of John because it's so, it's so human. It's, I mean, Jesus saves the world. Yeah. But then there's these individual little moments where Jesus is also trying to say, Peter, <laughs> he's restoring Peter. So there's a yes. macro and then there's a micro and both are true at the exact same moment. And yeah. I just, there's a, it's really, really astonishing to me. And I think that that's, yes, there's a giant narrative, like the universe is being remade, like heavens and earth. But caught up in that is a, a little dude named Peter. Yeah. And Jesus does for him what Peter desperately needed yes. to be done. Yeah. And then Peter, uh, there's also a confrontation of Peter because, of course, there's the restoration of Peter, which is beautiful. But then after the restoration, do you love me? Yes, yes, yes. The three affirmations. There's also the three statements, feed my sheep. Yeah. Then, if you if this is true, feed my sheep, which you called a, a life of outward service. Um, there's all sorts of different ways to talk about it. A life yeah. of discipleship, a life of giving. Uh, but basically live like Jesus lived, which is a sacrificial life to, to care for people. Yeah. Um, and there's a confrontation there that Easter, I think, makes on us as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it's very countercultural. It confronts sort of, um, you know, cultural expectations um, to live, you know, in, in the paradigm of the critical journey, which is something we've talked about here before. It's basically you get through the wall, you know, the dark night of the soul. And what happens is after you can get through the wall, which Peter has had a dark night of the soul, you you experience a restoration from God and it calls you to respond through what's called a journey outward. You begin to live an outward facing life. It's right. not all about you in your own process. It's not about, you know, the sort of like, I got to find myself. You realize, no, actually the most meaningful life I can live and the life God's called me to live is to receive my identity from him, not to go find it on the mountaintops of you know, Tibet or something as a backpack for seven years. And, you know, it's, it's God gives me my identity. And then I give from my identity that's secure in, in God. I give my life away. It's the journey outward, which leads to a life of love. And I think that's what Jesus is doing here. He's calling Peter to, um, he restores Peter. And then he says, Hey, respond, like respond by receiving the love that I've given you. And then giving that love away by caring for my sheep, feeding my sheep, you know, and yeah. taking care of my lambs or whatever. So um, it, it takes, a, it, you know, it's, it is a journey to get there. I'm not saying everyone should do that right away because it has to come from a genuine place. You cannot give that which you have not received. So right. if you have not received the love of God, you cannot possibly give the love of God away. Um, but once we have, I know many people have. Yeah, I think that's the next step. 
final question. Uh, and this might be a little, in this cultural age, I, I remember there was this moment and I moved out here in 2001 and I'm in the teacher's lounge. I was working at a school, a local school, Gunderson High School. It's my first year and spring break is approaching and we're in the teacher's lounge and somebody was talking about like, oh, watch out for travel because people are going to be leaving town for Easter. And there was a guy in our school. He was a brilliant teacher, probably probably the best teacher in the school. He AP political science, AP government. I mean, he was brilliant. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, he said this. He said this sentence, um, and he was not a religious person at all. He's a Bay Area guy. You know, went to Berkeley, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And he's just like, Easter in the Bay Area, does anyone still celebrate that today? Hmm. There was a sense in which, and that was the first time. I'm from the Midwest. I was like, oh. Oh, we are not in Kansas anymore, yeah. like, or Columbus, I guess. Um, but there's a moment where I think in our cultural moment, just the idea of the ancient stuff you talked about with Tacitus and Josephus and Pliny the Younger, historical documents, what's this mean? Um, there's a sense in which people distrust authority sources all the time now. Like, yes. why should I listen to the CDC, their political? Why should I listen to the Supreme Court, the president? Everything spin. There's no trustworthy sources, deep fakes, lies, corruption, nothing. All the institutions that used to be bastions where we would say, well, that's true. Yeah. Um, now there's a there's been an eroding of trust yeah. uh, for a variety of reasons. It's almost like that stuff like doesn't even matter. Yeah. So how in a post-truth world where nothing is reliable, um, Josephus, Tacitus, who cares? What's it, how does that interact with the modern mind? How, how does the story of Easter interact with the modern pluralistic culture? Like, how, how, does, that, how does that even work? How do you, how do you process that? And, and what, how, do, how do you make sense of that in our modern Bay Area world? That's a great question. I mean, we could talk about it probably for hours and hours. Um, yeah, I would say I actually think the ground is shifting a little bit. Um, I agree that obviously there's a there's a very um, high level of skepticism toward anything institutional, anything authoritative. And yeah, I'm not sure that the tide's going to turn there. I'm not even sure that it should, you know. Uh, at the same time, I do think that there is an increasing desire, hunger, longing for something of stability, something anchored, something rooted, something timeless. Um, transcendent. Yep. And yeah. transcendent. You know, this is something we've talked about at Westgate before, but Maslow's hierarchy of needs is um, I just I think it's universal. You know, once once we have. Uh, the bottom of that pyramid sort of met, you know, our, our physical needs and safety needs, then you you have a need for belonging. So I think that's kind of one of the big walls, one of the big hurdles in our culture today that we, we're, we're so isolated that yeah. we can't belong. And what's really interesting is Maslow would say that you actually cannot achieve the desire to find what he calls self-actualization, you know, um, and esteem sort of the value add that your life brings to the world and just your identity. You know, it's one of the reasons why we're going to start this new series on vocation and we'll, we'll get into some of that stuff there. Um, you have to belong first before you can satisfy those other sort of more inward facing needs. So we've reversed that in our culture today. Like we think that we can just, I've got to find myself and then I'll find my tribe. And you see the fallout of that, 
Like you see where our culture is today. And Maslow's hierarchy of needs is not a Christian idea. He's a secular psychologist. He was a secular psychologist. But he's talking about he studied humans who are made in the image of God. So, of course, he's come to things that are, are the way God designed them. And I think that's totally true. I think that's why, one of the reasons why we're so isolated and lonely today is we, we begin the search for our se- like the self before we commit ourselves to a real community of belonging where it requires us to acquiesce our own, um, you know, our own sort of desires and proclivities and, um, and prioritize the community. So that's why things are so haywire. All of that to say, after you achieve all of those things, Maslow says, then ultimately humans are looking for transcendence. They're looking for something other, something holy in the words of, you know, Christian thinking um, in Christendom, um, you're looking for for, for something, something worth set giving apart. your life to. Yeah, yeah, something bigger than you. Bigger than you. Yeah. That will never go away. That's my belief. Yeah, because humans are made that way. Mm-hmm. God made us that way for relationship with one another and relationship with Him. So, for me, whatever cultural moment we're in, I actually think there will always be a hunger and a desire and a longing for transcendence for something. Um, that is bigger than ourselves, that is more timeless than my finite life. And I'm seeing some of that bubble up to the surface, even here in Silicon Valley. Um, Next week when we start this Work Hard, Rest Easy series, um, you know this because I sent it to you. I just recently read uh, a short little book by a journalist named Derek Thompson called On Work. You could read it in half a day. He's, again not Christian, you know, a secular journalist sort of writing, he's got this fantastic line. He says, our desks were never meant to be altars. Um, and he's talking about how we worship our work. And I think that's so true, especially in Silicon Valley. And I share that one as a sort of preview of the series to come. But two, um, just because culture gets more secular, it doesn't mean we get less religious. We just redirect our worship. So I actually think there's great opportunity there. And it's to cisterns that don't have water. Yeah. That's the thing. Work well, can it's never. To, it's to idols. Yeah. Work yeah, can never provide what you need yeah, from God exactly. himself. Right. 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 Yeah. So, yeah, I, I'm actually quite hopeful. And uh, I think that hope is embedded in just a universal, timeless reality about humans. We will always long for transcendence and we'll sort of direct our worship in, and orient our worship in directions that we think will offer us that and they will always fail. And when they do, followers of Jesus need to be at the rate ready, you know, um, always be ready to give an answer, you know, for the hope you have. So, um, yeah, and that way I'm, I'm really hopeful. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, on a on a personal note, I, I love what you said. Um, but this this year, um, just reflecting in, in my own life, if I can share a story, uh, yeah. one of the things that uh, connected me to this was it's more emotional, but it, it, it ties to what you're saying. But it's very personal. So my daughter, um, her and her whole high school, they're going on mission trips, service trips this this week. Yeah. So all hundreds of these students are going out to these various service trips and they're learning about what it means to serve, uh, especially the poor and marginalized throughout the nation. So they're going to Skid Row and they're going up to this, the shelter over here and working over here. 
And um, she is on a service trip, and there's 52 other students, and she's there with her, her really good friend. And just for the sake of privacy, we're just going to call her Sarah. And Sarah is a great, a great kid. She is, she's so funny and quirky. She makes me laugh more than any of her jail's friends, and she's so awesome. She's uh, awesome at volleyball, and so we would go to her sporting event games, and she's like, even on, as a freshman, she was like on the on the varsity, and she's like, I'll perform this senior. She's just incredible. So, so awesome. Great kid. And on Tuesday, uh, and JL is up in Anchorage, Alaska, serving at this huge, huge women's shelter uh, for women who are in need and their and their kids, and they're baking food and and they're they're serving and they're reorganizing like the food closet and helping to make sure all the the, the clothing and all the all the all the closets with all the all the clothes is like all that stuff's clean and organized and playing with the kids and helping and just being there to be support and see the the work of Jesus up in this community right yeah. for the poor and marginalized and on Tuesday the leaders get this call and they call Sarah in and they say you know, Sarah, you have to, you have to fly home and you have to fly home like tonight. And we're going to send one of our, our leaders with you and he'll accompany you, but you got to get home because Sarah's dad has been battling cancer for years now. And he's on this kind of experimental medicine and it, it just stopped working and his body's shutting down. And, and they say, he's got about two days left to live and you got to come home. And although we kind of knew this, it was always kind of out there, you know, it was always out there. And even jail knows this. I mean, it's very hard, and it's something that uh, Sarah, just as a protective mechanism, kind of didn't think about. Because why would you allow yourself to think about yeah. this? It's too hard, you know? And jail calls, and she te- and she's just crying. She's uh, just beside herself, and she's just crying with her friend because this is just so impossible. And I just thought about the story that, like, our world would tell her. And as she's flying home, it's like, there's a narrative that this world has that says, Hey, Sarah, sorry, kid. Sometimes cells metastasize in the wrong way and there's mutations and cancer takes over and kills the host. And the host happened to be your dad and the world is cruel and we're real sorry. And your dad's not going to see your graduation and he's not going to get to walk you down the aisle. And that's it. And death is the end and we're sorry. And you know, the world's cruel, and so maybe as you go through this, you can learn that the world is cruel, and maybe you can get a glimmer of hope by looking at a flower or distracting right. yourself with work. Maybe you can have a, a moment of respite from the pain and knowing that you're never going to see your dad again, and that's it, and your family's been torn apart, and that, that's the end, and we're real sorry. And, um, yeah, life is tough and cruel. And that's that's a narrative. Right. And uh, I, there's another narrative, and it's one that Sarah's dad told her because – their family's Christian and they're devout. And that narrative says, you know, Sarah, death's not the end. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus beat it. And the tomb is empty, which means that Jesus isn't in a tomb. He's out here with you. Yep. And he's been here with me this whole time, helping me, been, been with me, been with our family. He'll hold us together and he'll help you. He'll walk with you every step. You will never be alone, even though I'm gone. Your heavenly father will never abandon you, never leave you, never forsake you. He's not in that tomb. He's right with you. Mm-hmm. And even more than that, Sarah, I'm, I might die, but death won't touch me because Jesus already took it. Yeah. And there will be a day and I'm going to see you again. Right. And that day will last forever. Mm-hmm. And we will be together because God will hold me 
and you, because whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have life and life, not just for a little while, but forever and ever and ever. And that's the truth. We trust in God because Jesus beat death. Yeah. And this is just goodbye for a while. The comfort of the spirit will be with you and I will see you again. Mm-hmm. Daughter, this is not the end. Yeah. So it's not academic, man. Right. Like this is, jail is learning that this story of the resurrection is not just an academic, neat theory. This is like as real as concrete. This is, I think, Sarah's only hope. This is the only hope they have for their family. And it's it's either real or it's not. And if it's real, it is the best news in the entire universe. Yeah. Especially for Sarah right now. Yeah, that's right. So, so that's good. that's kind of where my heart is this this Easter. And yeah. um, I've just been praying for her. And, you know, if you're out there and, and you're listening, just pray for her and her family. It's going to be real hard. But I also know that God is real and he's going to he's gonna comfort. Right. And that's that's the hope that we have this Easter. The yeah. death, where is your sting? There's no sting. Where's right. your power? Where's your, it's gone. Jesus has swallowed it. Yep. And that's the Amen. hope we have. Yeah. Well, thanks for being with us, Jay. Yeah. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. And um, happy Easter to all you out there. And when we see you next time, we're going to be talking about work and Sabbath and money and meaning and all sorts of fun stuff. So mm-hmm. we'll see you after Easter. Just want to say thanks to Jay Kim for hopping by, <laughs> stopping by. That was a joke. Um, I'm sorry, I'll stop. Uh, join us next week when we're going to be diving into a brand new sermon series called Work Hard, Rest Easy, where we're going to be tackling the topics of work and Sabbath and money and contentment, things that are really important to everybody. And the, and, and the Bible and Jesus have something very specific to say about this. So we're really excited to talk about those topics. So join us next week for that. And I hope you guys have a great Easter. Happy Easter, everybody. Christo Solari, Christ is raised from the dead. He has risen, and that changes everything. So we're so glad to be with you. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you next week. You know, before we go, I just have one last thing. Every single Easter since I became a Christian, I have the same Easter morning kind of routine. I always do that. And I know this might sound silly to some of you, and I'm sorry. I'm just going to share it with you because you're the podcast loyal listeners. And so mileage may vary, but this is deeply meaningful to me. Every single Easter morning, um, I always wake up super early. This is before the sun comes up. Um, There's kind of an Easter sunrise kind of thing. I think about like when Jesus um, rose uh, it was early in the morning, the women go to the tomb. It's like sunrise and new dawn and new light. It just, it, it matters. And I always, in the middle of this darkness, as the dawn is 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 coming and the sunlight is, is beginning to peek through the clouds, I always listen to the same song. And I only listen to it once a year. And it's, it's my Easter song. And so I just thought, hey, I don't know. I'd share it with you. It's Nicole C. Mullins' uh, My Redeemer Lives. And... Uh, Anyway, it just it just always gets me my favorite part, the part that always gives me goosebumps. There's this moment where she's like at the end of the song and she's like, I know that I know that I know that I know and I just I just get chills. And then there's this other part right at the end where she's like, I spoke with him this morning. And it's just this, ah, uh, it gets me every time. I hope, I hope, I hope you like it. And if you don't, that's fine. Uh, but I just thought I'd share it with you. Happy Easter, everybody. Thanks for listening to the afterword and uh, have a great Easter. We'll talk to you soon. The sun 
To the 